Um, and I think something. Oh no, I'm an idiot. <laughs> I just confused myself. <laughs> There's our clip. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Welcome, my lords, to the Well-Earned Comforts Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Seth. Thank you for joining us on the Walls of Isengard as we explore the many works of Tolkien and discuss life. We're glad to have you as part of the Fellowship, as there's no telling where we'll be swept off to. And today, I'm wearing a sweatshirt. It's a little cold out here. I mean, not really cold, I guess, for May, but uh, it was a little cold this morning. I'm wearing a sweatshirt. Seth's wearing a sweatshirt over there in Michigan. Is it, is it kind of cold over there? How you doing? I'm doing well, buddy. Uh, yeah, this morning, I think it's just over freezing. I think it was high 30s, mid to high 30s this morning. Uh, it's been chilly the last few days, but we're about to about to really start warming up in the next week or two. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. Which is unfortunate because we're getting a new AC put in in the first week of Jan- uh, June, and we're going to have to go through about a week and a half of mid 80s. Uh, before we get that and Evelyn's room is upstairs so it's always kind of a pain to keep it cool enough for her naps without the AC. Uh, yeah that sounds tough it's gonna be an entire week though without it well I mean we haven't had AC for uh, I mean since like last the end of last summer oh so there's been a few days already that have been pretty rough we had a stretch of like three or four days in the mid to upper 80s already and that was rough so we'll see how yeah. it is for like a week and a half <laughs> Jeez, yeah, that's tough. I do not envy that at all. No, and it's expensive too, but that's all right. <laughs> How was Amanda's birthday? Did you guys celebrate? Do you uh, make sure to spoil her well enough? Uh, I think so. I, I hope so. <laughs> she seemed to have a really good time. Uh, we we went out to this restaurant in Bay City that has really good gluten-free, dairy-free. Uh, we did that for breakfast, and she gets like an eggs benedict thing, I think is what it's called, that she Ooh, just absolutely yeah. loves. Um, with the hollandaise sauce mm. yeah yep yep and it's i mean so good. It, if you guys ever come visit probably not when we do our family trip because it's a little bit of an opposite direction but it's it's <laughs> yeah. great food um but yeah uh and then we we went down to frankenmuth and walked around and got some some taffy that was made at the store and some fudge that was made at the store just kind of walked around spent time outside it was it was a lot of fun that's a good time. You brought Evie, I'm sure, and no, she... we left her home. Well, okay. <laughs> we didn't leave her alone. He's not that kind of a parent. <laughs> no, yeah, we we definitely brought Evie. I was gonna say she's she's not at the age where I mean she can start like eating solid foods, right? Oh yeah, she's been eating solid foods for months. Well, I mean like toffee. Like you, you wouldn't been able to like, oh. try. It. She has not had any sugar yet, and it's gonna okay. stay that way okay. until her first birthday next month. So. Ah, is it next uh, next month? Or, oh my gosh, that's it'll be crazy. a year old next. Actually, almost exactly a month from like three days from now. So, Jeez. a month and three days, she'll be one years old. It's kind of crazy. That's so cool. It happens quick. It happens very quick. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, how about you guys? What have you been up to? We finished off the the year of student ministries, which was uh, which was fun. It was a good time. Um, so we're just trying to finish off the last couple of weeks. She's got 
one more week of school at work, Ariel does. And uh, last Wednesday, though, we went to the doctor, got an ultrasound. Um, he's upside down. Sorry, there he is. Oh, yeah. Look at that noggin. I know. He's got a big old head. <laughs> um, we They made us do another ultrasound because we weren't supposed to have one this past Wednesday, but they couldn't see his heart from a certain angle last time. So they're like, oh, we're just going to reschedule one. He's probably fine. They were able to see everything they wanted to see, and he's looking good. And <laughs> they said his legs are in the 85th percentile for length. So he's yeah. got he's got the Linville legs. He's got the long Linville legs. And it was it was crazy because the position he was in when we saw him, he had like one head over his one hand over his head, and then his knees were like up to his chin. And yeah. it didn't look comfortable at all. But he was just like you know chilling, and he moved his mouth a little bit. We could tell. It was just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> It's so cool. Yeah, when he when he finally comes out and he just starts screaming, it's it makes sense. I mean, you've been in this dark womb for nine months, and then you come out, and all of a sudden you're not in that fetal position anymore. And they like it's got to be a weird feeling. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. With how so... crunched up he was. It'll be interesting <laughs> to see. Yeah, he woke me up last night. He started kicking. I was holding Ariel's tummy, I guess, when I was sleeping and I just my I felt a kick on my hand and I was like, oh, oh hi. You're 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 <laughs> you're there. I'll hang out with you for a little bit. And yeah. we've been doing this thing where every time he he pokes or kicks or whatever, I'll push back right away. Yeah. And so that he knows like it's there's kind of a response. And so I don't know, for maybe about five, ten minutes last night we just kept going back and forth. He'd push, I'd push, he'd push, I'd push. <laughs> It's like playing Ariel's catch like, before you can sleep, please. Yeah, she was actually not happy about it, but because she has to work today but yeah other than that it's it's been good we're just trying to get everything ready we've got some painting to do in the nursery um and some other things we need to figure out but it's a busy season for both of us so do what we can when we can and that's all you can do and the clock is ticking it's not it'll be here before you know it yeah today marks uh, 25 weeks yeah so definitely over the halfway point yeah, exciting stuff. Definitely. Well, that's plenty of blab- blabbling, babbling, <laughs> babbling like butterbur. as we've got a fair amount of uh, lore to get into, meat and potatoes to get into today. But for, before then, uh, as always, we go into our riddles in the dark. And uh, Seth has still been on a winning rampage when it comes to this. And so I'm glad we aren't taking score. Like, I know I did that in the first couple episodes. Like, oh, yeah, I'm winning because I did. But then now it's... It'd be bad if we did. So uh, anyway, this is the part of the episode where we take some dialogue from a random page in our trilogy book here and see if the other person can guess who's talking, what the context is, and which book and chapter uh, we're, we're reading from. So uh, Seth, it looks like you maybe have something. You want to you wanna try me out first? <laughs> this one would be very hard. So I'll, give, right. you, I'll give you the end of a quote and then the beginning of another quote. And it's two separate people. So, okay. It is said that there are still havens of the high elves, but they are far north and west beyond the land of the halflings. But where that may be, though the lord and lady may know, I do not. You ought to at least guess since you have seen us, said Blank. There are elf havens west of my land, the Shire, where hobbits live. Hmm. Well, at first I was thinking maybe this is when... Frodo's talking to that elf in the Fellowship of the Ring when they're in the Shire and they're talking about like the the, the elves, but I don't think that's it. Um, oh. The Lord and Lady refers to 
Celeborn and Galadriel, I'm sure. So Correct. maybe I'm thinking Lothlorien. Um, and it's obviously there's hobbits involved in the, in the conversation. Uh, read one more time. <laughs> okay. It is said that there are still havens of the high elves, but they are far north and west, beyond the land of the halflings. But where that may be, though the lord and lady may know, I do not. You ought to at least guess, since you have seen us, said Blank. There are elf havens west of my land, the Shire, where the hobbits live. Hmm. Yeah, I... You were right about Lothlorien, if that helps. So it is in Lothlorien. Correct. Okay. Uh, Let's see. I'll give you you a roundabout clue. One of the (laughs) characters speaking partakes in a battle in the two towers that he was never a part of in the books and dies. Huh. Okay. Um, how dear, I guess, would Correct. be talking to... Yeah. Uh, he's talking to Mary. Talking to Mary, okay. See, there you go. You got that. <laughs> Nicely done. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if I say I would gotten it, but that's be... But yeah, Fellowship of the Ring, Chapter Lothlorien, and yeah, Haldir and, and Mary, I guess. Haldir and Mary. That's a hard one. That's an obscure one. Yeah, that was tough. Well, I also have an obscure one that we'll see. You're probably going to get it, but <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Here we go. I'm going to read. There's going to be two people talking, and I'm only going to read the first part of the second persons. Okay. This Say is that what... again? From the... <laughs> there's two people talking, but you're only going to read what? Actually, there's three. Okay, I'm going to read three people's dialogue here. <laughs> okay. Three people dialogue. <laughs> All right. Yet sworn or sorry. Oh gosh, I gotta start over. <laughs> Sam, time out. Time out. This is. Um, hold on. What do you? You said yet sworn. So this is Gimli talking to me. Boromir. This is Gimli no. talking to Boromir in the Fellowship. No, you're and wrong. Potentially Gandalf. You're absolutely wrong. Okay, give me a little bit more. I thought. I thought. Okay. <laughs> uh, yet sworn word may strengthen quaking heart or break it he said look not too far ahead but go now with good hearts farewell and then the next person says good good luck yeah I mean I know that that's Gimli that's saying that the first part yeah yeah but I thought for sure this was like when they were leaving Rivendell and am I wrong no, I mean you're right, but it's, it's when they're it's leaving. Not I thought I thought Boromir was talking about like maybe that's higher up, but Boromir is saying like they should swear an oath, and Elrond basically says like no, we're not gonna hold an oath. I don't know. It's Elrond, I know. It's Elrond and Gimli, because Elrond is saying there's no reason to put an oath on anybody past what they want to do, and Gimli saying, but it might, you know, the quote that you read. Yeah, I don't see Boromir. Maybe it isn't um, Boromir. Gimli uh, says, I know it's Gimli and Elrond. Yeah, yeah. Elrond was talking about, yet no oath or bond is laid on you to go further than you will. Mm-hmm. And then he says a couple other things. Then Gimli says, Faithless is he that says, Farewell in the road darkens. Maybe, said Elrond, but let not the, him vow to walk in the dark who has seen the nightfall. And then that's where Gimli talks again. And then the next person, you know, who says, Good luck. 
Uh, I don't. Hold on. It's got to be somebody that stays. Good, good luck, he cried, stuttering with the cold. I don't suppose you'll be able to keep a diary. Oh, okay. It's Bilbo. Yeah, yeah there you go. Okay, that was a pretty good one. I don't know why I had Boromir in my head, but I knew, I that, I knew I, it was Gimli. I can't believe, like, literally three words in, you were like, stop, I've got it. <laughs> <laughs> Two words, yet sworn. <laughs> no, you said yet sworn word or whatever. The, you said three, I'll give yeah. you three. Jeez. Well, yet again, we see Seth reigns supreme. <laughs> Nothing new. Wow. Humble as always. Moving on to tidings from the fellowship. Uh, I haven't gotten very many tidings uh, other than had a little bit of update with uh, Scott Marion and talked to him for a little bit. And then uh, our good friend, Nate Bronze, he also texted me and he said he's going to email us his Tolkien story. But for the last episode, he said not to open the email, which he hasn't sent it yet. But he said when he does not to open it until we've already recorded the last episode or when we're recording the last episode or something. So. I don't know what he's planning, but it should I don't be either. Yeah. Um, I think we should do like a recap of the book episode where we just kind of talk about highlights and our favorite parts and stuff. And maybe totally if he gets it in by then. That's the one we'll, we'll read it off of. That sounds like a good idea. I like it. Yeah, I Very good. Thanks. Cause we only have what three chapters left after this. I can't count that high. I have no idea. Okay. We homeschooling was not that bad. Seth, come on. <laughs> I think we have three chapters left. Okay. I can't say the names of the chapters because they're spoilers, which is ridiculous. Yeah, is that I don't that's gotta be Christopher Tolkien, or maybe it's the editors. I don't know. Yeah. I can't imagine it was actually J.R.R. because he didn't even want to <laughs> name the book Return of the King because it was a spoiler. Right, right. And but so then there's you no read way these chapter names. naming chapters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh yeah, three chapters left. That's it. Once we're Closing done with in this on one. it. Closing in absolutely, uh, but yeah, we'll read we'll read Nate's token story probably that that episode. And if uh, you're listening and you haven't sent us in yet, please do. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we do have some. I just uploaded our our thing to Amazon a little while ago, oh. and so we do have some Amazon listeners. Uh, not that I'm like creeping on the analytics or anything, but it did see one person has been going through and and listening to every single episode we have. So welcome, whoever you are. I don't know who you are. I'm not trying to creep on you. <laughs> just just saying welcome because I was oh, I uploaded awesome. it and I looked at it. And I yeah. didn't even know Amazon had po- podcast. So I mean, hey, somebody's using it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think I mean that's where the the recap for the Amazon Prime uh, Lord of the Rings show was was on. They had like a. Amazon podcast and part of me wanted to listen to it just to see how dumb it was. But then I was like, no, that's just a lot of negativity. I shouldn't go down, down that rabbit hole. No, thanks. All right. So we're going to jump in here to the meat and potatoes, the lore section of this podcast. And just to summarize, there you go. Thank you for interjecting. Um, (laughs) Just to summarize where we left off, because we kind of left off in the middle of a chapter last week or two weeks ago or whenever. We recorded last um, a fortnight. At this a fortnight. I yeah, correct. This is a Tolkien yeah. podcast after all. Um, <laughs> and so we left off with Turin as he joined the men in Brethil. Uh, and if you remember, these these men were of the House of Halleth uh, that were kind of the remnant that were remaining after the Nirnaith Arnoidiad or the Battle of Tears. Uh, and they were led by Brandir, who was the son of Handir. And Turin changes his name yet again uh, and 
asks to go by Turambar, which means master of master of fate, correct? Uh, master of dark shadow. Uh, I, I think it maybe means both things. I think he says that to. He says that to this next person that he talks correct. to. Correct. Yeah, I want to say it means master of fate though. Earlier, it, yeah, it's, I think that's I, it's what he whatever. said first, but yeah. Either way, um, he's trying to claim lordship over his fate, which is just ridiculous. Which he's been doing the entire story and failing miserably. Yeah. <laughs> um. So that kind of ended a really short chapter, and then we jumped into the next chapter where we follow in Neonor along with Mablung. They journey to Nargothron in hopes of discovering tidings of Turin. Uh, and where we left off was when the scouting party arrived at Nargothrond and Mablong took a couple of people with him to go forward and try to scope things out. And he left the main company of elves and Mormon and Neonor behind on the spy hill. Uh, and we left off with Glaurung actually spotting them and being aware of their, their, uh, their presence. Yeah, so a uh, pretty, pretty intense situation that we're about to run into here. So after leaving Morin and Neonor in the keeping of those elves on the Spy Hill, uh, Mablon kept crept closer to Nargothrond, and uh, that's when Glauron was aware not only of the stealthy Mablong, but also the company located on the Spy Hill. So he, he sees, even though you know Mablong's a great hunter, he's a great uh, stealth person, um, <laughs> but uh, Glauron can see, as we saw, earlier he's got eyes better than eagles and so he can see pretty much whatever he wants and he sees everything that's going on and so as mablon got closer to the river glaurong decided to send forth a great blast of fire and crawl into the stream so tolkien says he puts it this way then straight away there was a vast hissing and huge vapors arose and mablon and his followers that lurked near were engulfed in a binding steam and foul stench so i guess he just like blasts fire into the river to make that steam and it just like you know if you've been like wake up early on a misty morning and you can't see 10 feet in front of your car you know that's kind of how i imagine this going down yeah. but it also it smells absolutely horrid <laughs> like it smells horrendous because it's the belly of a dragon um so after this happened like mablong's companions they ran back to the spy hill they're like okay well okay there's a dragon there's, there's something happening we need to go back there to the spy hill so they run back to the spy hill but Mablong took this opportunity. He's like, well, maybe I can still creep to uh, Nargothrond and, and maybe get some information on maybe on Turin, maybe on, you know, what, what happened to the city. And then I can, you know, tell my tell the King Thingol what's going on. And so he knew, though, that the, the vapor was the coming of Glaurong. And so he, he was like, yeah, make sure the company goes as fast as possible back to Morwen and Neonor. Um, and so that's the hope is that they would run back to Doriath. Um, while Mablong stayed and and did some recon, but Mablong was right in believing that Glauron had spotted Morn and Neonor, of course, and uh, so they got on horses. Morn and Neonor did, and the and the whole company they got on their horses and they began to flee. Because remember what uh, Mablong said at the very end of last our last episode is like, if anything happens, just just go go back to Doriath as fast as possible. And so that was the plan. Uh, but as they came down to the bottom of the Spy Hill, an ill wind blew and great vapors came about them bringing a stench that no horse would endure and so these horses are going crazy and you know we wonder is this who is it that the valor that's kind of in charge of winds manway so manway is usually the one that creates wind right and yet this is a wind of misfortune so do you think this is a wind maybe caused by 
by Morgoth to push those vapors and push the stench down to the horses to confuse them? Yeah, I I don't know. I was wondering that same thing. Like, is this wind caused by Morgoth or is it just simply misfortune? If it's just misfortune, that that really sucks. Uh, but yeah. I mean, if the vapors would have blown the other direction, we wouldn't have had any issue. But it just so happened that they blew right towards the company that was trying to flee. And like you were mentioning, you know, on a, a day with a early morning with a ton of fog where you can't see more than a few feet in front of you, that's basically what they were experiencing yeah and then again because of the fog and the stench the horses were ungoverned i mean i imagine just a massive beast that you know more than neonor trying to control like hey no go this way they're like nope i'm out of here i'm they're just running to and for they're, they're dashing themselves against trees which led to great hurt and the cries of the riders and the neighing of the horses this all just made glauron happy he heard all this and he's just smiling to himself he's probably laughing to himself like all right yeah more misfortune for you know, the, the children of Hurin. Uh, but in the confusion, one of the single elf riders, he spots the Lady Morwen passing by what Tolkien says is a gray wraith upon a mad steed, but she vanished in the mist, crying Neonor, and they saw her no more. So this is like the last point we see in the mist, in the fog, in the craziness. One of the elves sees Morwen, like just trying to hold her horse together and crying for her daughter, and then she just disappears. And we don't know any more of her up to this point and we don't hear for, for quite some time. Yeah. That's kind of the last thing you'll hear about Morwen until the very end. And it's just kind of, kind of crazy that she just vanishes upon like a gray wraith upon a mad steed. Like just the image of that is yeah. kind of terrifying. So that's what happened to Morwen. And then when you look over what's happening to Neonor, uh, while running wild, her horse actually stumbled and threw her into the grass. And it's funny because Tolkien describes it as she landed softly and was unhurt or fell softly. Like she went flying, but she didn't actually get <laughs> hurt at all because um, she just elegantly and gracefully landed on the grass, basically. That's <laughs> how I picked yeah. it. Yeah, of course. Um, it was one of those slow-mo rules where it was perfectly placed. and Yeah, exactly. And then it just <laughs> happened to be on a nice patch of grass and nice soft landing. Um, right. But when she and so she took no hurt from the fall, uh, but when she arose, she was alone and completely lost in the mist. She didn't know where she was. She didn't know where anybody else was. She she didn't know what to do. And Tolkien says that her heart did not fail her and she uh, thought of what to do next. So even though she was alone, she didn't panic. She just kind of, you know, OK, what is my next step? What do I need to do? And she decides to go back up the hill uh, to the top of the spy hill because she believed Mablung, who uh, she knew went forward, she believed that Mablung would come back and visit the spy hill and try to see what had happened. So this is her thinking, this is my best chance to be found, to be helped, to be rescued. And when she reached the summit, she took a step forward and... The picture of this in my head is actually terrifying. Um, she takes a step forward, and right before her was the great head of Glaurung, who had crept up the other side of the mountain, or the spy hill. Yeah. So she is face-to-face -face with Glaurung. And as if you, re if you remember from when that happened to Turin, um, it did not end well for Turin. Yeah, not at all. And now his sister is face-to-face uh, is -face with that same dragon. And Tolkien said, and before she was aware, her eyes had looked in the fell spirit of his eyes, and they were terrible, being filled with the fell spirit of Morgoth, his master. And so this description actually kind of reminds me because of this uh, dragon that is filled with the spirit of Morgoth. And it just kind of reminds me of that 
movie more so than the book. But when Theoden and Gandalf are speaking in Edoric prior to Gandalf like casting out the spirit of Sauron from Theoden, um, that's kind of what this little description reminds me of. With uh, just the eyes were terrible and being filled with the fell spirit of Morgoth, his master. So, yes, this is Glaurung, but this is also you know Morgoth, who is his master, just working through him. So at this point, Sam and I are actually going to read the interaction between uh, Glaurung and Neonor because anytime Glaurung speaks, it's just kind of it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Tolkien did a really good job of like choosing the words that he would use. And I don't know if you've read like Screw Tape Letters, Seth. It's a a book by C.S. Lewis where he talks about um, it's a it's a it's a fantasy book, but he talks about like it's all from the perspective of demons right. working for Satan. And kind of how Glauron talks reminds me of of how C.S. Lewis de- depicts Screw Tape and and some of the the talks with his, his nephew, the, the other demons and how they just deceive and lie, but it sounds so truthful and so deceptive, you know? So, but yeah. Interesting. Um, so like I said, Sam and I are gonna read a little bit. Strong was the will and heart of Neonor and she strove against Glaurung, but he put forth his power against her. What seek you here? He said, and constrained to answer. She said, I do but seek one Turin that dwelt here for a while, but he is dead, maybe. I know not, answered Glaurung. He was left here to defend the women and the weaklings, but when I came, he deserted them and fled. A boaster, but a craven, it seems. Why seek you such one? You lie. The children of Hurin at least are not craven. We fear you not. <laughs> then Glaurung laughed, for so was Hurin's daughter revealed to his malice. Then you are fools, both you and your brother, he said, and your boast shall be more than vain, for I am Glaurung. Then he drew her eyes into his, and her will swooned, and it seemed to her that the sun sickened and all became dim about her, and slowly a great darkness drew down upon her, and in the darkness there was emptiness, and she knew nothing, and heard nothing, and remembered nothing. So, at this point... She is under the dragon's kind of similarly to the way Turin was and you know a couple of chapters ago. And we'll see how that turns out. So at this point it kind of the story kind of shifts over to Mablon. And now that Glaurung had left, he was able to search it and he searched long in the darkness and the stench, and he found no living thing and nothing stirred. Uh and so he basically gets no tiding, it's desolation. Um there's just mm. nothing here. And so he finally decides to leave. And in doing so, he looked off into the distance and thought he could describe the evil shape of the dragon. And so he thought he was in the clear. Um, and so now his passage back across the Narog, the river Narog, was more perilous than before because he was in a hurry and he was full of fear and just haste and trying to get away from this place now. And so it was you know, it was taking him a little bit longer and it was more dangerous. But as he finally reached the east shore, Glaurung actually showed up and crossed over the to the gates of Nargothron. So he kind of, I imagine, you know, Glaurung kind of going completely over the valley and Mablung going underneath, you know, down mm-hmm. under the river and stuff and climbing out. Yeah. And the way Tolkien describes Glaurung now after this interaction 
with Neonor, he says, but he was slow and now stealthy, for all the fires in him were burned low. Great power had gone out of him, and he would rest and sleep in the dark. So he was very quiet and stealthy at this point. It wasn't this giant blast of fire and vapor. It was quiet and stealthy. Um, and so just when Mablung thought that he had passed by, Glaurung actually turned around and and Mablung heard the laughter of Morgoth. Yeah, and then Glaurung actually spoke kind of in the direction of Mablung, knowing where he was, of course, knowing that you know he's still around trying to figure out what's going on. And so Glaurung just, uh, he says, Dim but horrible as an echo of malice out of the black depths far away, and this voice, cold and low, came after him. There you lie, like a vowel under the bank, Mablong the mighty. I'll do you run the errands of Thingle. Haste you now to the hill and see what becomes of your charge. So after hearing this, Mablong, it's like, oh, snap, the dragon just spoke to me. Like, it's got to be terrifying. Um, so Mablong did just this. He, he hastened back to Amonethir, a spy hill, to find what he may. And... What he did find was a figure dark and still as if it were stone. Um, so he just sees this figure standing completely still and like I imagine kind of like a grayscale, like a black and white version of what was before. And the, Tolkien says, thus he found Neonor, who made no indication of him speaking to her and gave no response. So she's just completely non-existent now. Yeah. Um, and then Mablung is like dumbfounded and it and in grief and bewilderment he's like okay everybody else is gone dead scattered we have to get Neonor back to Doriath she's the only person of the company left it's still my responsibility we're headed back and so Mablung starts thinking to himself and if you remember from the last chapter he he said that he had he had a bad feeling about this trip and and this errand and he feared it more than even the hunting of which was in reference to Karkaroth, that um, he and Beleg and Thingle and Baron uh, and uh, our good old boy Huon actually yeah. took out Karkaroth. Um, and that was the biggest, baddest werewolf ever. And he, had, he was more worried about this Aaron than that, than that one. And so he starts thinking to himself and he says, not for nothing did I dread this Aaron. It will be my last, it seems. With this unlucky child of men, I shall perish in the wilderness. And my name shall be held in door, if any tidings indeed are ever heard of our fate. All else doubtless are slain, and she alone has been spared, but not in mercy. And I love the way he says that, because it really, really brings Glaurung's like, mind and Morgoth's mind to the f It's like, yeah, it would have been easy just to kill her. And, you know, the death of Neonor, another one of the children dead, but... He says, she alone spared, but not in mercy. And so he's thinking to myself, or thinking to himself, like, I don't know why she was spared, but mm -hmm. it's not in mercy, I guess. We'll find out. Yeah, and he's talking to, like, this unlucky child of men. Like, he, I can imagine he's, he's kind of resentful, maybe, towards the children of Hurin at this point. And he just is also wondering, again, like you mentioned, like, why is she still alive? Like, why did she get spared because i don't like where this is heading so let's just take her back to doriath get her back safe because that was part of my errand as well is just making sure nothing happened to morwen and neonor um so after after this they 
he wanders in the mist a little bit and he found three of the other companies um, once the mist had finally passed by. And so they all decided to head back to Doriath. And as they got further away from Nargothrond, uh, st- strength began returning to Neonor and she would walk by, by, by the hand of, of the elf companions. And so she still couldn't see anything. She couldn't hear anything. She didn't say anything. Um, but she had the strength to at least walk. So she was walk, being walked by, by guided by the hand of, of her companions. And so again, you, you just imagine she's, she's blind, she's deaf, she's mute. And so whatever Galarong said to her, whatever else happened has a, has a big hold on her. That darkness, um, that shadow that just follows to her and wherever he goes is definitely on her now. Yeah. Then uh, one night in the journey, as they're walking back, uh, Neonor finally laid down on the grass and and seemed that she had slept, um, something she had yet, yet to do. So she hadn't slept yet at this point. And the elves took note of this and they're like, okay, if she's going to sleep, then we're also going to sleep. This is a good time to do that. Except they were wrong because then they were caught unaware by orcs, a band of orcs that was roaming the region. And so you know, they're getting attacked and suddenly Neonor leapt up and Tolkien says as one waking out of sleep to an alarm by night and with a cry she sped away into the forest. The orcs then chased after her and the elves chased after the orcs and so she's she's like freaking out she just gets up ah, I'm gonna run away and so she runs away and so the orcs are like oh let's go chase her and then the elves are like wow we can, let's go chase them and so just kind of this this band and yet she was faster than all of them, which is kind of amazing that she outran even the elves. You know, she <laughs> outran all of them and the elves yep. caught up to the orcs and killed all the orcs, but Neonor was gone and they searched around everywhere and they couldn't find her. And so Mablong, of course, is looking at this errand and he's like, gosh, what the heck did I get myself into? Morwen's gone. I don't know. Like the last we saw, she was crying for her daughter and she just disappeared. Now Neonor just outran me. Like, how did that happen? Now she's gone. And so they like, search around for a long time, can't find anything, and they go back to Doriath. And you know, they, he bows in front of Thingol and Melian, and, and in grief, he says, choose you a new master of your hunters, Lord, for I'm dishonored. He's like, I, I can't do this. I'm sorry. <laughs> everything you told me to do, I, I failed at everything. Melian, uh, Mormon's gone, Neonor's gone. I don't know what happened to her, and Nargoth runs a sack. I, I, I can't do this. Then Melian gave him comfort. You know, she doesn't speak that often, but when she does, it's it's like, hey, we need to pay attention to this. It's a pretty so, common theme. Anytime Melian speaks, it's like, all right, you need to pay attention. Absolutely. And so she she gives him comfort. She's like, it's not so, Mablong. You did all that you could, and none other among the king's servants would have done so much. But by ill chance, you were matched against a power too great for you. Too great indeed for all now that dwell in Middle-earth. And so it's pretty amazing that she's saying, like, even for me, even... As a as a Meyer myself, like I can't compete with Glaurung. Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> if you think about modern terminology and slang, that's kind of a black pill. She's bringing you know comfort to Mablung and saying these things, but she's also kind of black pilled in that she's like, indeed, for now all that dwell in Middle Earth, she's saying nobody has the ability to stand up against more at this point. Yeah, it's it's again we see this time and time again in the story it just there doesn't seem to be very much hope for the good guys seems like morgoth is really the one in charge of everything that's happening for now all in doriath uh, they believed after mablung's tidings that turin had been slayed by the dragon probably that's what happened like you know with how powerful the dragon was he must have lost in an epic battle and now morwen is lost and Unor is lost and so mablong he's he just 
he couldn't live with himself. He's like, I, I, he wouldn't rest. And so he took a small company with him and he went out into the wild and searched for three years for signs or tidings of, of, the, of the two lost women. And that's the end of the chapter. Yeah. So that's, that's where we leave off with, uh, with Malblung. And so, I mean, if you just kind of do a quick summary, we know where Turin is. He's in the forest of Brathel. We have no idea where Morwen is. She was like a wraith on a steed, on a wild steed going God knows where. Uh, and Neonor sprinted off in the general area of Brathil, the forest of Brathil, but we don't really know where she is just yet. Um, so that's where everybody, you know, all the people of Hurin, the family of Hurin are. Uh, and so this next chapter, again, <laughs> kind of spoils the name of it. You know, it's Neonor and Brethil. That's the name of the chapter. So <laughs> where this next chapter picks up is exactly that. Uh, Neonor is in Brethil, and she's still under that uh, that darkness that Glaurung had placed upon her. And Tolkien says that she took off sprinting through the woods and tearing off her clothes one by one until she was completely naked. Um, so just in her terror, she's running away and I, I mean, I can't even imagine what kind of terror would cause me or somebody else to do that. But for some reason, in her madness, that's what was, you know, seemed to be the right, the right move. Well, I imagine that maybe she's like, it's the feeling of something like crawling on her skin. Like she's feeling like just the, the shadow kind of crawling over her and she's trying to get it off. She's just like throwing off all her clothes or like whatever's like touching her skin. Yeah. Maybe they just, you know, whenever you, when you imagine, oh, is there a spider on me? You kind of feel that almost. Sure. <laughs> and yeah, so no, that's, maybe that's what's going on. I don't know. That's, that's a good explanation. I, I bet that's exactly it. Um, and so she ran all day until her madness finally passed. And at this point, she's completely naked, and she just lays down and passes out because she's just exhausted. Um, and when she woke up, she really couldn't remember anything other than how dark the world had been. And she wandered around for a while. And the way Tolkien describes this part is really interesting. Any sign of movement scared her. She was kind of like a like a like a scared animal, like a rabbit or something. Just yeah, she's prey at this point. She doesn't know from what necessarily why she's terrified there's just this darkness where every little sound is terrifying her and so mm -hmm. she's climbing trees and just imagine a naked woman running around climbing trees hiding in thick she's probably getting cut up yeah tree branches and the the thickets and everything and right um she finally ran to the to the river tagling and she crossed over but she hadn't had anything to eat for a while and her energy was just completely spent um so as we see as is commonplace in a lot of Tolkien's writings, she just throws herself down on a mound and lay in darkness, and a storm rolled in. Uh, and this is actually the same map Fendulas was buried. If you remember, Fendulas was uh, Orodreth's daughter that was in love with Turin, who Turin failed to rescue and discovered in the last, what was it, last episode with the Men of Brethel, they just yeah. said, this is where we buried her. Um, mm -hmm. So believe it or not, this is actually where Neonor runs to and in her exhaust lays down and passes out. And it just so happened that the men of Brethil, led by Turin, uh, had just had a foray with the orcs a little ways off and they were on their way back and they always kind of went by this area to make sure not desecrated because Turin was just, this is a, a special spot to him. Yep. And so 
as it's storming and raining and lightning and thundering, um, Turin s- saw something on the hill, and it seemed to him that it was the wraith of, the sl- of a slain maiden upon the Hyden and Nellis, which is the name of that hill. And one of his men actually ran over to the hill and was like, no, she's still alive. You- Turin, come on. <laughs> like, what's yeah. going on here? And so Turin runs over there and realizes, yeah, she's still alive she's naked and it's cold and it's <laughs> rainy and so he takes off the cloak and covers her up and actually carries her away to to their lodge in the woods and this is the first time that neonor actually like opened her eyes and noticed something um she's actually able to see turin and she yeah. put out her hand toward him which is again the first time she's had for herself since glaurung um, mm-hmm. And Tolkien describes it as, for it seemed to her that she had found at last something she had sought for in the darkness, and she was comforted. Um, so in the darkness, in the, the curse of Glaurung, uh, she is searching for something, and she doesn't know what it is. And then Turin shows up, and, and she doesn't understand who he is or what he is, but she knows it was something she was searching for. Yeah. And at this point, Turin has no clue who she is. Uh, and he doesn't know, he has never met his sister. There's no way that he would recognize her because he had left Orloman before she was even, if you remember, they're somewhere like eight to 10 years different in age. And so Turin's just looking at this woman and he's flabbergasted, like, where in the world did she come from? And he keeps asking her, where are you from? We need to find these people and give them word of you. And every time he asks her, she just begins to weep. And the men gave her food, and she ate hungry because she hadn't eaten anything for a while uh, until she was satisfied. And then Turin reapproached, like, hey, who are you? Like, where did you come from? Who do we need to talk to? Like, how do we get word to your family? And she would begin to weep again. And at this point, Turin looked at her and just basically told her, hey, don't worry. Perhaps this is too sad yet to tell. Perhaps your tale is too sad yet to tell. Um, and as Sam puts in the document, since he's in the naming business, he gives her a name because that's what Turin does. He changes his name every three minutes. And yeah. so he's like, all right, well, I don't know who you are. I'm just going to name you Niniel, which means made of tears. Uh, and when he calls her that, she actually looks up at Turin and spoke the name in repetition. And that's all she said. Um, and from then on, that's what she was known as. So go from Neonor to Neonor. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as we see here, like, like Seth mentioned, she doesn't remember anything. Like she doesn't, she just knows that whatever happened before she woke up and was taken by these men, it was just really, really dark. And so she's, she's very, very scared. She's, she's uncertain about what, what's going on, but she feels safe with Turin, which is what we see. Um, so Turin and his men, they take her back to Ethel Brandir, um, kind of where where they've been staying. And Nienel, uh, she was taken by a fever. She got really sick, which makes sense. I mean, she was naked in the cold and the rain for for a long time. And and so they tried to warm her, but they really couldn't. So they took her into the house of Brandir. And as you know, same way he tended to Turin uh, last episode, he tends to this this woman Nienel. And then all the other women of of Brethel watched her day and night until you know she got better. And what they noticed is that it was only whenever Turin came to visit her to check on her that she would rest in peace and sleep without moaning. So she, I guess, was in, I mean, I was feeling this last night. Like I was having weird stomach cramps last night. I don't know if it's something I ate weird, but like 
I was trying to sleep, but I couldn't. And I was just moaning like crazy because my stomach was hurting really bad. And of course, Ariel's like, shut up, go to bed. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> my stomach is killing me. I don't know what's going on. So I just know how awful that is. And but but for whatever reason, whenever Turin came to sit by her side, she would she would kind of rest in peace. And so eventually she recovered from her for wounds, but words she wouldn't speak is what Tolkien says. Like she didn't know how to speak. Again, she has no recollection of anything beforehand. So she's kind of like a child is what Tolkien says. So the people, yeah, yeah. Complete amnesia. And the the people of Brethel had to reteach her just how to speak word by word, every single word. And so kind of like a child, she learned to, to speak again. And he, she would often ask what things are called. And she marveled in finding little treasures and just be like, Oh, what's this called? What's that called? Oh, that's a rock. That's a tree. That's a, that's a deer, (laughs) whatever it is. And so, you know, she spent a lot of time in the house of Brandir and, you know, she continued to f- heal and find joy in the naming of all these things. And she spent a lot of time with Brandir and through that time together, Brandir grew to love Nienel. And that's what Tolkien says. It, maybe there's more to the story that I haven't gotten to yet, Seth, but I'm curious because she, she would call him brother. I guess she learned the word for brother. That's how she sees him. But then uh, as we get further on in this chapter, is that how he sees her as like a sister or does he love her in a different way? We'll get there. Okay. <laughs> cause that's kind of like, cause I read the whole chapter and I was like, I, I think, I, I think he's got the hots for her, but I mean, he does. He okay. okay. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. That's what I was thinking. But she friend zones him, which, you know, he's lame. If you remember, he, he, he doesn't have a, a working arm or something like that. Right. It's, I believe it's a leg, a leg. Yeah. So he's, you know, probably not a very suitable man to, not a very attractive dude to hang out with, I guess. But uh, Tolkien says her heart was tied to Turin, that she had given kind of her heart to Turin, and only in his presence would she smile and laugh at what he had to say. And so one day they're just sitting watching the sunset together, and she asks him, she's like, I've asked the name of all living things, and yet I still don't know your name. What's your name? And he tells her, I'm Turinbar. And she's like, well, I don't know what that means. What does that mean? And he says, master of the dark shadow is what he says. And then he goes on to tell her, for I also had my darkness in which dear things were lost, referencing, you know, Beleg and his mom and all the people that have died coming up to him and up, up to this point. And then he says something very arrogant, but he says, you know, for also, I also had my darkness in which dear things were lost, but I've overcome it, I deem. It's like, sure, man. Do you think that's arrogance or do you think he's falling in love with her and in seeing her, he's overcome it? Hmm. I mean, that's a good point. I I don't know. I think with the last episode where we saw he was saying, oh, I'm I'm the master of this darkness of this fate now, and I'm going to put away my old self. Like I've, I've turned a leaf. I'm not going to just kill people anymore. Like uh, it it could go either way with him. It could be a combination. Yeah, it could be a combination. But yeah, he's definitely enjoying the time that he spends with her. And so she, you know, they're having this conversation. She asked, well, did you run away from your darkness kind of like I did? He's like, yeah, I I fled for many years and the darkness has followed everywhere I've gone until I've seen you. And now my darkness has turned to light because of you is what he tells her. And so then, you know, I imagine they you know say goodbye and they walk off to each one's house, her to the house of Brandir and him to you know his house. And as he's walking back to his house, he he's thinking to himself, like, what is what is this amazing woman doing here? Like, why is she in my life? And then he thought of where he found her, you know, the Howden Eleth, where where Fenduilas was buried. And he's like, is this a sign? Is this a sign that this is somebody I should like 
fall in love with, to be with, to marry. And so he just kind of ponders to himself. Yeah, and at, at this time, uh, the gentle winter had come and another bright year had began and there was peace actually in Brethil. Uh, and the woodsmen heard no news of the outside world and they didn't go abroad. And I imagine this is largely due to the fact that Turin probably isn't going out to seek it as much as he was before. Um, because Brander, if you remember, he to keep his people alive through stealth and secrecy, whereas Turin headstrong and warlike. So with Niniel now being in the picture, Turin is a little bit less eager to go find ba battle. Um, and so the orcs had shunned the crossings of Paglin and actually went south to, to muster with Glaurung. And so at this point, there's just peace. And it's kind of strange because this is the first time that's really happened uh, to Turin. Um, however, it was really great for Niniel because at this point she was able to become fully healed through the, the care of Brandir. And she had grown to be fair and strong. And that pleased Turinbar. He's like, this is a very, very beautiful woman. Um, and I really like her. And again, he has no idea this is his sister. And again, she has no idea of anything because she's still suffering from that complete amnesia that Glad caused. And so he actually asks for her hand in marriage. He asks to marry <laughs> his sister. Um, and so, I mean, we told you it'd get weird. But <laughs> it, yeah, it's just, it's strange. Um, it's tragic, but strange. And Niniel was actual, and she told Brander, and Brander actually counseled her out of it and said, well, you should wait and see, give it some time. And he actually, they have a little dialogue back and forth, and she's like, why is that, brother? And why is that? I forget how she phrased it, but she calls him wise brother. She's like, yeah, wise brother, yeah. why do you say it like that or something? And he responds with wise brother, lame brother, rather, unloved and unlovely. And scarce yeah. I know why. Yet there lies a shadow on this man, and I am afraid. And so I think this is twofold in that Brandir, as he says, rather unloved. Mm -hmm. um, and he also, from the beginning, he knows who Turin is, because he tended Turin as well. And he's yeah. also, um, he just has a bad feeling about Turin, and he really, you know, is trying to, trying to protect Niniel, really. But there's also a little bit of selfish ambition. So after some back and forth, Brander actually betrays Turin. If you remember, Turin, when he was healed by Brander, asked, like, I will go by Turin Bar. Please tell nobody of who I am. Yeah, right. And this time, Brander actually betrays him. And he tells Neonor, this is, this, this is Turin, the son of Hurin of Dor Loman. And you would think that, hey, that oh, would crap. Bell. Like, <laughs> oh, I know who this is. But Neonel is really just has complete amnesia. And she's like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> huh cool sweet and he calls the house of Hurin a warlike house and he attempts to put fear into Neonor uh or Niniel that Turin would go back to battle uh and that the shadow would eventually have mastery so he's basically saying like if you marry Turin he's gonna go back to battle he's gonna continue to fight and it will be tragic for you and she basically says well I'll face it but what difference does it make if I'm wet or unwet, if I'm going to face it regardless? Um, yeah. And then she kind of starts thinking to herself, she's like, well, maybe I can restrain him. And Turin wondered at this, and 
because Nianel actually said, okay, let's wait a little. She took the council and and so Turin did this and he he asks like, okay, why are we waiting all this stuff? But he respects her. And, um, but then he was ill-pleased to discover that Brandir actually betrayed him and that it was at her, his council that Neonor or Niniel at this point uh, doesn't want to marry him. Yeah. Uh, so there's kind of some resentment beginning to build between the two. Brandir already kind of resents Turin because he knows who he is. He doesn't want to fight. He wants to hide and be stealthy. And now Turin's getting a little bit of resentment building up towards Brandir for trying to steal his girl. Yeah. Um, and so as the next spring approached, so I imagine about a calendar year, uh, Turin decides he's done waiting. And I kind of like how he does this as a He's like, all right, I'm going to first, I'm going to lead. Here's two deals. You get to choose which one. And he goes up to her and he says, time passes. We have waited and now I will wait no longer. Do as your heart bids you, Niniel, most dear. But see, this is the choice before me. I will go back to war in the wild or I will wed you and go to war never again, save only to defend you if some evil assails. And so... Turin's basically saying, like, I'm willing to change my life for you and only fight to protect you. However, if you won't have me, I'm going right back out to war. And at this, Niniel was glad and she agreed to marry Turinbar and they actually built a house on Ebo, which is the this kind of mountain that's in the middle of the forest of Brethil. Uh, but as, as Brandir had mentioned earlier, his heart just continued to grow deeper. Uh, the shadow on his heart just continued to grow deeper, and he was really beginning. He just has that sense that something's not right. Does he know that brother and sister just got married? <laughs> no, but he, he knows that something's wrong. Yeah, it definitely seems off to him. And I, th- I think this is tough, too, because you see Turin. I mean, it's, again, just tragedy after tragedy after tragedy, because... He finally finds purpose in his life, right? Like his entire time. He even says it to Nina, like, okay, either I'm going to marry you and like, we're going to have a family. It's going to be amazing. Or I'm just going to go purposely back to war because I have nothing else to live for. Like, right. I'll, I'll go to war. And if I die, I die. Kind of is his mentality up to this point. But he's saying, but if we get married, like, I'll put that life behind. Like, you will be my one and only priority. And again, this would sound great if it wasn't a sister. <laughs> I know. This is this is the first time that Turin is actually willing to change himself. Yeah. Like he mentions it periodically, but this like the core of who he is, his hatred for Morgoth, he's willing to actually change that for Nino. And this yeah. is the first time that he's actually willing to do that. And it's his sister. <laughs> yet another tragedy. It's crazy. But we are coming to kind of the climax of the book here. We, Like I said, we only have three chapters left. There are some pretty intense chapters, and uh, I'm excited to dive in to those with you, Seth. But any, oh, any final chapter? Well, okay. <laughs> Yikes. That's, that, that's foreshadowing. But Yeah, careful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, any, any last thoughts before we, uh, we close this up? Oh man, poor Turin. You just feel bad <laughs> for the guy. Yeah. A lot of it is self-imposed and a lot of it is just there's nothing that he could do <laughs> to yeah. avoid it, you know? Yeah, of all the women in Middle-earth, he comes across 
his sister naked has the hots for her and is now married to her and he has no idea which yeah it it's definitely the one of the weirder stories that tolkien writes like you don't really get that you guess and i know there's some other stuff like in the first age and but i don't know like you don't really talk tolkien doesn't talk about like people being naked hardly at all ever right um he doesn't obviously talk about uh, i guess technically incest um right you know like that's not one of his themes you don't talk i mean you, you look at game of thrones and you just see like okay this is an evil dark place like stuff like this happens all the time it's just kind of expected in this world and yet tolkien's world is not normally like this so this is just kind of a out of left field it almost feels like but it it, it shows the tragedy of of turin's life and the and the curse of morgoth and i think he's just really trying to portray like this is not it's not a happy ending this is not a good story it's just it's it's hard and it's real yeah well said well said now anyway <laughs> on that point uh, gondor calls for aid this is the part of the episode where we break in the halls of Metaseld and we shout, Gondor calls for aid. Will you, Rohan, answer? So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please light a beacon of your own by sharing it with some fellow friends and fans. Also, don't forget to like, subscribe, and please leave us a review. We'd love to hear more reviews on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Amazon, whatever it is that you're using. Uh, please uh, give us a review and uh, share your Tolkien story with us as well. We'd love to hear how you got into Tolkien, what he's done in your life, or uh, what your thoughts are on Children of Current. We'll read that you can share that to me at weckpodcast at gmail.com podcast at gmail.com as for next time we are jumping into a very exciting portion of the tale as the coming of glaurung approaches so that'll be very exciting thank you for joining us for some well-earned comforts until next time we bid you a very fond farewell <laughs>